Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Hello and happy Monday to everyone. Welcome to the Theology Mom live stream. I'm live. I'm not on tape. <laughs> so I trust by God's grace that you and your family are staying well. And I am excited to bring you this discussion today, continuing some of the content that I was developing earlier this year, analyzing the TV series, The Chosen. Uh, I've received so much feedback about my analysis of The Chosen. And uh, back in January, February, whenever that was, uh, I had promised that later in the year I would continue to develop some themes. And so this is one of those follow-up programs, and we will just continue to offer some analysis of the show. Now, for those of you who don't know what The Chosen is, The Chosen is a television series on the VidAngel platform chronicling the life and ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Now, um, back in January, when I was posting a lot about The Chosen, one of the most common comments that I got was expressing concern that watching the show violates Sola Scriptura. Many, many people commented about this. This kind of reminded me again that there are a lot of misunderstandings about what Sola Scriptura actually means from a classical Protestant perspective. So I'm hoping to offer a little bit of clarity on that today. This is probably not going to be a very long stream. I don't have a ton to say about this issue, but I do want to offer a few clarifying thoughts. At least I think they're clarifying. We'll think, we'll see what you think. Okay. So here's the question. Does the chosen violate sola scriptura? We're going to watch a, a quick clip from the chosen and I am wearing uh, some chosen gear here on the show, repping a little bit, got this as a Christmas present. So um, just, it, it is very soft. They do have nice merch. Um, but uh, we're going to watch a quick scene here from the show. And this is on YouTube. I didn't pirate this or anything. It's on the official chosen channel. And um, then we'll talk about it and kind of make some connections with Sola Scriptura. So this is just a quick healing scene toward the end of season three when Jesus goes um, across to the other side of the Jordan and talks to some Gentiles and Jews and all kind of different cultures sort of all mixed together. He meets a blind uh, mute guy and here's the scene. Andrew, Philip, 
I knew you'd return. Why are you acting like this? There's so much unrest and anger, I don't want to draw attention to... You. You must be the rabbi we've heard so much about. More than heard about, as I understand. Rise. I'm sorry for the trouble. No. The strife between Jew and Gentile was there all along, and a bill just simmering beneath the surface. It's simply out in the open now. Hmm. It's bound to happen sooner or later. It was bound to happen now. Rabbi! Telemachus? Jesus of Nazareth. Your teachings have reached us. So I have heard. He has not. What do you mean? He's deaf. Ayaba cannot hear and can barely speak. <laughs> Telemachus, you are out of line. This is not why we need Jesus. Why shouldn't it be? Because, Rabbi, there are far greater problems right now than one man's ear. I can think of no better place to start. Didn't mean to spring this on you, I promise. I really didn't know. <laughs> Please, Rabbi. I don't mean to disrespect I but... understand, son. <laughs> gives you the gist of it, a little scene there. So this is pretty typical of what the Chosen does, is it takes the kernel of something that is in scripture and then uses it to kind of inspire a larger scene. Now, not every jot and tittle of that scene is from the Bible itself, but it gives us kind of some, puts the, puts the situation into potential historical cultural context, Okay. And so what many of the people that came on my page had concerns about is that the scene is going, you know, beyond what the scripture actually has to say. And, and for this reason, the charge is that it's a violation of sola scriptura. This is, this is in broad strokes what, what people were bringing up on my social media. Okay, so let's first talk about what does the phrase sola scriptura actually mean? And we'll talk about what it does not mean. Okay, so what does it mean? This is just a basic definition according to classical Protestantism. Now, I recognize this definition might not be what you might have heard from your local fundamentalist pastor. But in, in broad terms, this is what the term sola scriptura means. It's a Latin phrase. And it's not a Greek or Hebrew phrase. So it doesn't come from the Bible itself, okay? It's a Latin phrase. It comes out of the Reformation, and it means by the Scripture alone. 
Now, this is really one of the great slogans of the Protestant Reformation. And the Protestant Reformation was an attempt to reform the Roman Catholic Church. And it, the, the early reformers did not necessarily set out in the beginning. Martin Luther, his, his goal was not to break off from the Roman Catholic Church. Rather, he nailed the 95 Theses to the wall and the Wittenberg door in order to call for reform of the church. He wanted to purify the church. Okay. Well, one of the kind of slogans that came out of the Reformation, one of the the things that was sort of the distinctives of what it meant to be a Protestant is this idea of sola scriptura. And you may have heard of the other solas, sola fide, um, by faith alone, uh, sola Christos, by Christ alone, et cetera. There's like five of them. Anyways, we're just talking about sola scriptura. And it, it means by scripture alone. And what it's saying is that the scripture is the church's only infallible rule for deciding doctrines. Okay? It's a very basic definition of what sola scriptura means. So let's break it down. It's infallible. It's that scripture is infallible. What does infallible mean? It means that it's incapable of error. Okay. If you want to know more about the scripture's inerrancy, infallibility, I would refer you to go check out the Chicago statement on inerrancy. Okay. And there's tons of resources connected to that. Just go type into Google Chicago statement on inerrancy. You'll get a lot of information. But sola scriptura is the idea that scripture is the church's only infallible rule. And by rule, what they mean is standard, okay? It's a standard that governs the faith and practice for the believer. So if we're going to have a doctrine, if we're going to decide uh, where doctrine comes from and whether doctrine is faithful, It comes from one infallible source, which is the Bible. That's what sola scriptura means. Sola scriptura means that the scripture is the church's only infallible rule. In other words, it's standard that governs our faith and practice for deciding doctrine. Here's another simple way of understanding sola scriptura in light of the Reformation, is that what it's saying is the church is not infallible. The church can err, and it is subject to Reformation by the Bible. Okay? So Protestants do not believe that, you know, the church didn't exist until Martin Luther, or that there were no faithful Christians until Martin Luther. That's not what we're saying. We're saying that the church, it's as an entity, is not infallible. That the church can err, and that it is subject to reformation, but only by reformation by the Bible. It's another way of thinking about sola scriptura, okay? 
So hopefully these definitions will be helpful to you um, in, in thinking through the question of whether or not the chosen violates sola scriptura. All right, now let's flip the tables and talk about what sola scriptura does not mean, okay? Sola scriptura does not mean that the Bible is God's only source or uh, for revelation, okay? Historically, Christians have believed in what's called general and special revelation, that God has revealed himself two ways. The Belgic Confession calls this two books, all right? Sola Scriptura does not mean that the Bible is the only way that God has revealed himself. He has revealed himself through general revelation, through creation, through the human conscience, and through special revelation, which is scripture. Christians historically believe that God has revealed himself these two ways. That is, so So don't use the term sola scriptura to say God has only revealed himself through the pages of the Bible. Sola scriptura does not mean that the Bible is the only authority for believers. It is the supreme authority, right? But that there are authorities that we also believe in, in terms of um, the larger church project, if you will. It's, it's that what is revealed through creation is also from God. And so we can look to that as being helpful information. Now, the Bible off, might offer a correction for that. It might offer a lens for how to understand general revelation. It might give me clarifying information, but it's not to say that it is the only source. Sola Scriptura, likewise, does not believe, mean that the Bible should be decoupled from the church context. This is a very common misunderstanding. Um, I would call it a straw man that um, my Roman Catholic and Orthodox friends make against Protestants. Now, the thoughtful ones know better. They know that this is not what Protestants are saying. But sometimes if you meet somebody who maybe doesn't really understand Sola Scriptura, what they think you're saying is that you're separating Scripture from the church. And that's not what we're doing. Um, Protestants believe in the helpfulness of the church. The church helps to through creeds and, and councils and other things, it helps to provide boundaries for sound doctrine. We just look back and we think about the doctrine of the Trinity, as was confirmed by the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Council. These things um, are where leaders in the church come together. They, they look at the scriptures understand and and uh, put together summaries of what the scriptures say. All Protestants affirm the Trinity. We affirm 
the incarnation, these great truths that were confirmed and summarized by early church councils. By Sola Scriptura, we are not attempting to decouple the Bible from the church. What we are trying to do, rather, is say that those councils are not infallible and that that councils can make mistakes, but the only authority for correcting those mistakes is the Bible. Another very common mistake that evangelicals make along these lines is by decoupling Sola Scriptura. They, they, they'll fly this under the banner of Sola Scriptura. They'll say, well, I only look at the Bible. I don't care about creeds and councils at all. And this is what some Roman Catholics and Orthodox people think that Protestants mean by Sola Scriptura, that, that what we're saying is we just look at the verses. We only look at the Bible. We never stop to look out at how has this verse or this passage or this idea been interpreted historically in the church. Evangelicals or Christians in general who, who try to decouple the Bible from its historical um, context, from, from church history, this is also an error. And this is not what we mean by Sola Scriptura. So let me just really briefly give three major pillars of Sola Scriptura. We gave a definition. We said a little bit about what it's not. Now let me give three pillars of the idea of Sola Scriptura. And again, Sola Scriptura is a distinctive that comes out of the Reformation. All right. I want to be clear about that. Sola Scriptura meant that um, the, the Bible, that Scripture is the supreme authority in spiritual matters. It, it, it's not saying that Scripture says everything or preserves everything that Jesus or the apostles ever taught. That we're not saying that that's what the Bible is. It's not preserving everything that was ever done. At the end of the Gospel of John, for example, it says many more things that Jesus did. They were all written down. Were, the, the, the world couldn't contain all the books, okay? So there were many other things that Jesus did and said. The Bible is a, is a selection of those sayings and deeds of Jesus. What we're saying when we say sola scriptura is that we're saying the Bible gives us everything necessary um, for our salvation. It gives us everything that God will require for us to know. And that's not to say, though, that the reformers were against the ideas of things like reason and tradition. This is another kind of straw man, um, common misunderstanding that what Protestants mean by sola scriptura is that the Bible is our only authority. It's our, or it's our only source of information and knowledge. The Protestant reformers, Luther and Calvin, very much affirmed the use of, of reason and tradition. They just um, thought that tradition, the Christian tradition, should be supported by the Bible. But they were not against using things like logic. They 
simply saw that reason and tradition were subject to the authority of scripture and, and that they were not infallible. Again, our definition is that the Bible is the only infallible rule of faith. Okay. Other authorities were fallible. Reason is fallible. Logic can be fallible and it must submit itself to scripture. That the supreme authority is scripture and that all human leaders and all thoughts and all frameworks must submit themselves to that. Number two, the second pillar of sola scriptura, it refers to the sufficiency of scripture. Maybe you've heard of that phrase. Um, the Catholic church uh, believes in the Bible. Okay, so we want to be careful not to say that they disregard the Bible, but they have, they see tradition as also being authoritative, whereas Protestants say, no, scripture is sufficient in terms of its authority. So while there can be truths that are found outside the Bible, the Bible is sufficient for our final salvation. So Protestants would affirm the truths of history and science, even though those aren't in scripture, those do not undermine the sufficiency of scripture. Scripture is sufficient for our salvation. Okay. But again, I want to emphasize that we're not saying that sola scriptura nullifies the concept of church tradition. All right. Protestants, classical Protestants affirm, Firm many of the traditions of the church. Again, I used the the examples earlier of, of the Trinity and the Incarnation. Rather, Protestants would say sola scriptura is sufficient to give us a solid foundation on which to base church traditions. So this is why, for example, let me give another example of, of, of this issue is we ask as Protestants, we ought to ask when we interpret the Bible, what does this verse mean? What does this passage mean? What is its context, cultural context, literary context, historical context? But another question we should ask is, how has this passage historically been interpreted throughout the history of the church? We don't want to be coming up with novel interpretations. So when we think about something like marriage, we give deference as classical Protestants to how marriage has historically been defined by the church. And we look in scripture for that. And then we look in tradition for how that has been historically taught and lived out. So yes, the church helps to preserve and protect sound doctrine, but it's always built on top of scripture and scripture is sufficient for our salvation. The third aspect of sola scriptura that you might hear of is the clarity of scripture. Sometimes this is called the perspicuity of scripture. Now, when we say clarity of scripture, what we're not saying is that every single verse is crystal clear to every Christian. Our family was just reading 
some uh, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians this morning. Not every verse was crystal clear to all of us. But what we mean by the clarity of Scripture is that with study and with good tools, a regular person can read the Bible and come to a general understanding of what the Scripture has to say. We don't have to go through a particular pastor or teacher in order to understand the Bible. This is why reformers uh, worked toward uh, creating translations in the, the language of the people because they, they believed, and again, this is a feature of Sola Scriptura, that there was a certain clarity of Scripture that could be understood by any regular person and that they could read the scripture and understand and discover the basic way of salvation. Again, the reformers were not saying the parts of the scripture were not difficult to understand. But these difficult passages do not threaten. They're, they're not a, a problem for this idea of the clarity of scripture, the perspicuity of scripture. This is where we get the idea, if you've ever heard of the phrase, the rule of faith. And this is where unclear parts of the scripture um, are interpreted in light of the clear parts. But overall, what we're saying here is that if, if the Bible is put in our common language, that, that a person, a regular person can read it and come to a basic understanding of salvation and a basic understanding of scripture without going through the church. These are some of the distinctives of the Protestant Reformation, okay? So hopefully this helps you have a little bit more of a handle on what Sola Scriptura actually is. Let's go uh, look at some of the comments and see. Um, oh, good. It sent out a notification, at least for a few of you. <laughs> um, so let's see. I'm so confused about the solas. Do you have a resource for sorting all of that out? Yeah. I mean, you could just go to a good free resource to start off with is just go to the Ligonier website. Ligonier Ministries was a, a ministry started by Dr. R.C. Sproul. It's, he's, it was a great reform scholar that would put theology in the language of everyday people. You can start there. And um, just in all transparency, I, I am not strictly reformed. But that's not to say there aren't many good resources on the Ligonier website that, that I would agree with. And, and um, classical Protestantism, you know, would find wide agreement with many of, of the ideas of Sola Scriptura in general is one of the key features of what it means to be a Protestant. Okay. I've also heard people object to the chosen as a violation of the second commandment. Can you weigh in on that? I'm planning some future content to focus on that issue. I'm not talking about that today, but it is on my radar as one of the things I hope to address later in the year. Okay. Glad the clarification about what is not is helpful. All right. Now. Okay. Facebook. All right. All right. I love the chosen merch. Uh, some people probably aren't fans. Um, a lady I listened to address this concern of the chosen is adding to scripture. That's exactly what I'm addressing in this stream. She said, having the scripture 
come to life using the art of cinematics is no different than the art of music or paintings or drawings. Yes. Okay. So now that we've clarified what Sola Scriptura actually is, let's go to this very objection is does an artistic rendering of the scripture, does that somehow violate Sola Scriptura? I find that most people who are concerned about this issue usually are reformed. Um, and they have a confusion, at least on some level, about sola scriptura, which we've been talking about, and what I'm going to call solo scriptura. Solo, not sola, solo scriptura. And this is the idea that when someone um, tries to fly it under the banner of sola scriptura, of by scripture alone, um, that what they think that they're saying, that what they think Sola Scriptura is, is that the Bible is the one and only rule of for faith and practice apart from any tradition, apart from any human authority. And so they'll say, if it's not in the Bible explicitly, we shouldn't believe in it. Okay. And these are often well-intentioned people. They, and I love it that they want us to focus so much on the 66 inspired books of the Bible. They want nothing more. They want the pure word of God. I love that about these people. Um, but they often want to decouple or separate out uh, the scriptures from church history. And they want to interpret the Bible um, apart from church history. But again, the creeds, the confessions, the writings of the past can be a very healthy and helpful corrective against the errors of our day. And we need that, those things. So solo scriptura is not classical Protestantism. So just because um, an idea comes from tradition, such as the term, the Trinity, or looking at a diagram of the Trinity or a creed summarizing the Trinity that does not violate sola scriptura, okay? So that is that is not what we are saying. Um, and this is why I think that so many Protestants will focus on just reading verses apart from tradition. We, they don't even ask the question, how has this traditionally been interpreted? In my opinion, this, this solo scriptura is what can very easily contribute to the error of progressive Christianity. When we don't read the scripture with at least some deference to tradition, with some eye toward this is how Christians have historically thought about this issue and taught about this issue, we end up with weird errant doctrines, novel ideas, and you know, fresh perspectives. I always, whenever I see in, in a product description, there's a fresh approach to this, 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 this controversial theological idea. I'm like, run away because I don't want a fresh perspective. I want the old perspective. I want the tried and true perspective. I want the historic perspective. Okay. So 
when we, so, so that's kind of one error to avoid. Um, so yes, we definitely want to be searching the scriptures. We, we, but we also don't want to be interpreting the scriptures in a vacuum, just completely, uh, divorced from church history, because quite frankly, this is also what Christian cults do. They, they come to the scriptures with a fresh perspective and start interpreting them through modern visions or experiences or pulling verses out of context. Church history acts as guardrails. It helps us think about scripture properly, and it does not violate sola scriptura. Okay. So the question is, is do these artistic expressions violate sola scriptura? I don't think so, because I think that would only be the case if people thought the chosen is the Bible, which is something I've brought up in many previous streams. If someone has low biblical literacy and they think that the chosen is like almost word for word the Bible, then I could see that, okay, we have a, we have a literacy problem here. But in, in my humble opinion, the only way the chosen could violate sola scriptura as it has been classically defined by Protestants is if people thought it was actually the Bible. Now we can debate the historical accuracy, the artistic license, all of those things. As we saw in the clip earlier, um, you know, there was some artistic license there, but the reason why I don't think the chosen violates Sola Scriptura is anyone can go out and buy a Bible in their local bookstore at Barnes and Noble today. The chosen hasn't changed that. All we're saying with Sola Scriptura is that by scripture alone, this is um, the church's only infallible rule or standard that governs our faith and practice. Another way of saying it is that the church is not infallible. The church can err and is subject to reformation, but by one standard alone, and that is the Bible. And that is, in some ways, really the core of what it means to be a Protestant. Um, but the Bible itself is still intact. The chosen hasn't changed that. Um, and so, that is kind of my answer to that objection. Now, the chosen might be a problem for the second commandment, but that is an issue we will tackle in a future conversation. But for, for Sola Scriptura, I don't think it's a, an, an issue that is directly undermined by looking at artistic expressions of any kind, whether it's a painting, a song, or a TV show. All right, let's go back out to comments if there's anything else. Okay. Ali Beth was in a conversation about this with Candace Owens' husband, and I think this helped me to understand the difference between the perspectives. Yes, I saw that clip uh, floating around. I had already had this content planned, so I'm not trying to grave retrain on Ali Beth, but um, yes, they did have some conversation. Uh, Candace Owens' husband is a Roman Catholic. And they're all on the, um, no, they're on different platforms. Ali Beth's on Blaze and Candace Owens is on Daily Wire. But they just sort of had an informal sort of debate conversation, if you will, about this issue a few days ago. 
Um, Elaine says, my Bible teacher in high school told us not to get excited about new things. Yes. Uh, new doctrines, novel doctrines, fresh perspectives. These are all words that are red flags to me <laughs> when it comes to theology. You don't want your theology to be new and improved. We want it to be ancient, old, tried and true. What has the church historically believed about this issue? If you think about it that way, you'll be in good stead and uh, you'll avoid a lot of problems. Okay, I hope you found this helpful. It's kind of short, um, a little rambly, but I hope you found it helpful. And um, in the coming weeks, I'm going to be doing some more content related to The Chosen. We're going to be talking about Catholicism, which is another question that people brought up uh, when I started posting about The Chosen, because there's a few of the actors who are Roman Catholics, and they're involved in the efforts on the Hollow app which is a Catholic prayer app. And so I'm going to invite my friend Ken Samples to come on. We're going to have dialogue about Catholicism. It's one of his uh, areas of expert expertise and research as a theologian. He's a former Catholic. So that'll be interesting. Hopefully I don't end up on any crazy Catholic apologetics channels, but I probably will. But um, I just am trying to have a simple conversation to try to help people understand Protestantism. If you want to know more about the doctrine of the Bible, you can read the Big Grudems, what I call it, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. You could go, uh, I don't have my copy of uh, Millard Erickson's book, but it's similar. It's at the office. Um, but there's abridged versions of both Grudem and Erickson also available. And I would encourage you to take a theology class. You can check out my theology classes. Just um, go over to centerforbiblicalunity.com and check out the classes. I've got three classes there on demand. And um, one of them, God's Person and Word. We do a deep dive into the doctrine of the Bible. If you've never taken a theology class, I really encourage you to do that. Especially if you're interested in apologetics, trust me, your apologetics will go so much smoother. If you go take some, take a pause, hit the pause button on the apologetics, go take some classes in theology because that's the underpinning that you're missing when you're doing apologetics. And if you want to develop what people call discernment, the best way to do that, so you're not dependent on YouTubers telling you things and saying this is wrong or this is sound or whatever, go take a doctrine class. Go take some theology classes. You can check that out. Um, again, just go to centerforbiblicalunity.com and you can see the classes. Okay. I think that's it. We have any other questions, comments? I think we're done. All right. Are they reformed? I don't know who they is. I'm coming out of some toxic Calvinistic teaching. I have no interest in anything reformed for now. Millard Erickson is a Baptist. I don't believe he's reformed. Um, Grudem is this weird mix of He's reformed, but not in the toxic way. I'm familiar with that, of uh, what you're talking about there. He's also very um, open to uh, the, the the continuing of the spiritual gifts and, and the supernatural. He's kind of a weird, eclectic mix, much like myself. Um, you might also find some help and interest in checking out a past live stream I did called why I'm no longer reformed. 
where I share my journey in and out of Reformed uh, culture and theology. That might help you. Um, I do understand and am sympathetic to toxic Reformed culture. I've uh, lived through that a little bit myself, so I understand what you mean. But I would also encourage you that not all Reformed people are that toxic. Um, and I am very uh, sympathetic with many Reformed teachers that I do like and appreciate their biblical values and judgment. Um, I have many friends who are would call themselves Reformed, but they are not the toxic kind of reform who make you think that you're a less than a Christian if you're not reformed. I've, I've, I've met those people. So anyways, I do hope you found this helpful and we will see you again next week. Take care. God bless. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.